0: Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by GrowMark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies so you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
0: Well, we saw another mostly lower day led by wheat and corn to the downside on Wednesday Welcome to Market Talk, thanks for being here with us once again and making us part of your day as we talk about the markets, issues impacting rural America and much more. I'm your host Jesse Allen, great to be here again as we had another rough day uh, here as we started off 2023 to the downside in the grain trade. Soybeans had a little bit of early support on the day Wednesday but then faded along with cord and wheat as wheat accelerated its moves to the downside. As It appears uh, just a thin volatile trade in this wheat market to start the year. A little bit better U.S. weather expected short-term trade waiting for further Black Sea developments with some talk of grain corridor slowdowns and and more and not enough to really encourage buying so far. And we saw that uh, cause us to have some more selling pressure on the day Wednesday. Now, again, also that spilled over into the corn market as well as into soybeans. And some of this, too, may be getting a little farmer selling out there across the countryside with the calendar turning over to 2023. We're going to talk about all these issues, all these markets and more coming up here with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. He's going to join us coming up at segment two and three to discuss what he is seeing in this market trade. Livestock cattle features had a strong day on the day Uh, Wednesday, at least, uh, with feeder cattle taking advantage of the break in corn prices while hogs started higher, came under pressure. We're going to talk livestock, we're going to talk grains, and much more with Mike coming up here in segment two and three today. Well, first up here on the program, though... I'm going to take a look at some of the news headlines in agriculture that are moving things here as we work into this first week of 2023. And starting things off, talking about the fertilizer market. We've seen crude oil under pressure the last couple of days, natural gas under pressure as well. Josh Linville, vice president of fertilizer at StoneX, joined our friend Mike Pearson on our sister program AOA. On Wednesday morning talking about uh, what nitrogen prices are doing right now with the downturn in natural gas and in the energy market in general. And and here's what Josh had to say about that first off.
2: Well, that's the thing. I'm actually starting to think we're going to see a turnaround here fairly soon. Q1 is a very, very big world demand period because let's face it, everybody in the world is preparing for spring. Uh, Europe will need to prepare more than usual. North America needs to buy tons. Asia needs to buy tons. India will be stepping in soon. So we expect that there's going to be a surge of demand coming fairly soon. I think that's going to support prices. It's just a matter of time of it, the big question is when does that happen? And we haven't seen it yet. I think everybody's seeing prices fall and they're waiting until the last minute. That's helping prices fall a little bit. But at the same point, that pressure continues to build. When it finally breaks, it's going to be that much worse.
0: Josh also talked about what is going on with American suppliers. Are they keeping things domestic or still supplying the globe? Here's what he had to say.
2: I think it depends on the product. I think that UREA is probably going to start staying at home a little bit more than what it had been. Uh, UAN is likely still continuing to be exported, but I think that trend will slow. I think that they'll start to focus more on the domestic market because, again, that's one of those situations. They don't want to run the risk of oversight starting to watch the marketplace even closer. So I think it's better to keep the tons home.
0: And also when it comes to the fertilizer market in 2023, turning our attention to spring planting just a couple of months away, what is going to be the biggest challenge when it comes to getting fertilizer product here this spring? Well, Josh points to uh, something that has been in the news for quite some time now.
2: We continue to believe the big storyline of 2023 is going to continue to be fertilizer uh, logistics. You know, it's one thing to see global prices move here, move there at the end of the day it you can't do it doesn't mean anything if you can't put it into place. So that's why we continue to say we think we need to continue talking to our suppliers, our retailers, make plans because I know we've tried as in industry several times about this kind of a story. This one still spooked me a little bit more.
0: And again, that's comments with Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at StoneX, talking with our good friend Mike Pearson on the Wednesday morning episode of AOA, Agriculture of America, our sister program. We'll get Josh back on Market Talk here real soon and dive into some of the topics surrounding the fertilizer markets and more here. We'll get him on in the next week or so, hopefully here on Market Talk. Well, the precipitation picture through late winter and early spring will be a case of the haves versus the have-nots. That's the forecast from ag meteorologist Ryan Martin in Indiana. The upper Midwest is one part of the country seeing steady precipitation.
3: We're seeing a nice little stream of cold Canadian air incursions coming through the rest of the month of January through February. I really don't think that the upper Midwest is going to be too far out of the realm of normal as we go forward. Now, that being said, we just came out of 2022 and started 23 with slightly above normal temperatures. Part of that's the reason why that we have seen a little bit more precipitation. You get some moisture-laden systems to move into that differing air mass, and you change your snow ratios a little bit. So, We are probably seeing the continuation of that at least through the third week of January. But I think the cold air coming out of Canada is something that we can count on at a fairly regular interval. Nice little cold Canadian high-pressure outbreaks now through probably even into mid-March.
0: And much of the central plains will continue with very dry weather
3: we're seeing the western part of Kansas, western Nebraska, Oklahoma panhandle areas just continue to not really see a whole lot of significant moisture. Western Nebraska, northeast Colorado picked up that major snow event late in 2022, but outside of that, it's been nothing, and that was a very dry snow overall. So yes, I do think that we're going to be seeing dry conditions continue through a large part of the central plains until we see some kind of differentiation in the flow patterns. There's no reason to see anything different. One of the nice things I have have started to see here over the past couple of weeks, we've started to see this pattern where our systems are digging in or at least trying to come out of the four corners region, at least one out of every three. And I think that's going to try and spread a little bit moisture potential into the central plains as we move into later January and early February.
0: And Martin says the forecast for the central and eastern Corn Belt isn't showing a lot of precipitation activity.
3: We've seen a little bit of an uptick in precipitation as we finished out 22 and start into 23. We're still looking at this pattern coming together where we probably see a decent frontal complex trying to pass through the central and eastern Corn Belt about every week to 10 days with minor little systems in between. I think the wild card for the central and eastern Corn Belt is going to be cold air out of Canada. A lot of debate out there and models are split multiple different ways as to whether or not the cold that we saw in late December materialized is again central eastern Corn Belt east of the Mississippi. If it does, I think that actually triggers a better chance of precipitation going into the later winter and early spring.
0: And Martin expects to see more precipitation ahead for the central and the eastern Corn Belt by April. The pattern has been a little more active in the Delta and the Deep South.
3: We finished out 2022 with a fairly nice batch of precipitation. I think we're looking at probably three to four systems lined up here over the next two, three, four weeks that'll continue to have normal precipitation, maybe even a little bit above normal precipitation in the Delta. I don't think it's anything that's going to be newsworthy, but I also don't expect many people to be complaining about lack of moisture down in the Delta.
0: And again, that's ag meteorologist Ryan Martin out of Indiana. Weather, of course, going to be a big key. You know, that drought monitor for the u.s still looks very rough and it's going to be something it's going to be a talking point for sure as we head into this 2023 spring planting season and we'll just have to keep our eyes on that we'll also be watching the weather at south america of course that's top of mind right now we'll probably get into some of those issues and much more as we talk markets coming up after the break with mike zuzolo of global commodity analytics he joins us next here on market talk
1: bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we
0: take a look at the market trade on Wednesday, another rough day in the grain and oilseed sector. Hogs finished slower. Cattle had a nice up day, so I guess what bright spot there. Crude oil under pressure. There is plenty of uh, things to discuss in this market, and I'm glad we get to do it today with our good friend Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us here on Market Talk. Mike, happy new year to you, sir. I hope you're doing well.
4: You too, Jesse. Thank you for having me back.
0: I appreciate the time, as always. And, uh, you know, you and I were chatting uh, just before we jumped on the air here. I wish the markets were higher. Uh, it'd be a, a little bit of more of an maybe an upbeat mood here on the show today, but we'll do our best. Um, just looking at this grain and oilseed market, more pressure there on Wednesday. This has been a, a rough start to the trading year here in 2023,
4: Mike. Yeah, and it kind of feels like to me that the commodity index funds, those groups of people that were willing buyers of commodities at the end of last year on the news that China was reversing its COVID policy are the same group of people or investors jumping back out now because China's COVID policy is opening up the reality that they've got a really big problem on their hands with the disease and that the government, even the World Health Organization now acknowledging this today, as a matter of fact, The the government of China not giving us accurate numbers for how many deaths there are. And international health experts are saying we could be one million plus plus deaths in the early part of 2023 as a result of the government policy. And it's interesting because for me, you can look at crude oil. You can look at natural gas. You can look at corn and wheat. You can look at copper. You can look at coffee. And Jesse, all of these or if not making multi-week lows, making multi-month lows again. And these were the leaders to the upside as we went home for the celebration of Christmas and New Year's. And, and that's why I think it may be the same group of people. But it it's it smells as though it's that shallow trade mindset returning where global demand far outweighs what the tightness of supply says in the marketplace. And it isn't surprising to me, I guess, with the January 12th crop report right around the corner that the trade starts to think more about and trade more of the global demand side of the equation versus the supply. And that, I think, is backed up. in what commodities are going higher? As you say, the cattle market, soybeans, the meat complex as a whole, these are the markets that have the demand underneath them, even gold hitting a six month high. Uh, This month, and as we came back from the holiday, this again smells of stronger demand, and and they don't worry as much about the supply side because the demand's underneath them.
0: Well, you mentioned that crop report coming up, and we're going to touch on that in a second. You sent me a couple charts, though, today. The Deutsche Bank uh, Index, the Agricultural Monthly Commodity Index. I'm going to pull that up on the video screen. I think this will tie in well to where you just left off. What are you seeing on this Deutsche Bank uh, chart? And, and, And what are your thoughts here a little bit more on this global picture right now, Mike?
4: Yeah, I think this chart looks a lot like a lot of the ag index and overall broad commodity index uh, charts that I keep track of. And I keep track of about eight or nine. But this one shows a very strong channel to the upside that developed in 2020 after that long slide to the downside. We lost that channel support, though, in mid-2022 and essentially have gone sideways uh, out of that channel and developed what now looks to be a wedge. And that's what you see in the green lines, the green resistance and the support lines, both forming a point and forming a pennant or triangle or wedge formation. And what this chart says to me, and this is real important to what I was just talking about, Jesse, you can make the argument that why didn't you know that the Chinese COVID policy was going to create such big uh, problems when it came to the health of the Chinese people and the slowdown in the government of China uh, because of their policy. Well, we did, you and I've talked about it for the better part of four or five months. Well, this chart shows that we lost a lot of price premium. We took out a lot of premium in this market and have gone sideways and haven't been able to register a strong move up because of the Federal Reserve policy and because of the Chinese COVID policy. So I would say if I didn't care about what the price action was doing this week, Um, I would say that you don't need to go any lower at this point when it comes to the commodities because you've already priced a lot of the negative Chinese news already into this marketplace. But that's where the charts become extra important. That's where this wedge point, this triangle point becomes very, very important because we're on our second month after having put that point out there. This market looks like it's getting ready to break one way or the other. And if you didn't care anything about fundamentals and you looked only at this chart – my opinion would be that the bottom lines, the purple and green lines that run together, those are very low in percentage points, which you would call oversold, which would suggest pretty strongly. Typically, there's a lot fewer new sellers out there and a lot more new buyers waiting on the sidelines. And so if I didn't care about the fundamentals and the January 12th crop report, I would think this ag commodity index wants to try and go higher out of this wedge.
0: Well, let's think about if we do care about that January 12th crop report, Mike, as that is right around the corner. And I know I've been watching a lot of these numbers from USDA, including what they say on the U.S. side. What do they do with South America? And I know you sent me over some South American production estimates as well. And I just wonder with this January report coming up, Mike, you know, USDA has given us so many surprises in the last 12 months or so. Can they do it? Can they do it again? Will they do it again? I think it's hard to necessarily really forecast this January report because it just—it's a big report and it feels very unknown. At least to me, it does. Anyway, Mike.
4: No, you're picking up exactly how everybody feels in the trade right now, Jesse. In part because of the yield changes that we saw so early by USDA here in the United States, and then you throw on top of that the South American weather, and then you throw on top of that the still uncertain grain. A shipping corridor coming out of the Ukraine and Russia Baltic area. And so there are several features in this trade report that are going to have to be looked at very, very carefully. But what this chart or this table shows me is is that the trade has been a lot about Argentina weather, specifically Argentine meal and, and the meal price leading the beans higher ever since December. And what you see in this table is that Argentina's soybean production is next to nothing in terms of importance to the overall South American production. It's really the the Argentine corn production because if you take 50 million tons of Argentine corn production into 172 total, and I'm using the uh, Global Com uh, uh, research numbers, but even if you did the uh, corn for the USDA, 55 into 181, uh, you're talking about that corn makes up about 44% of the South American production, whereas in the beans, a 49.5 million metric ton production number out of Argentina compared to 211.5 total, that's only 23% of the total South American production. So you got to wonder and you got to ask yourself, why isn't the corn going higher in, in terms of the Argentine weather? Well, that's easy to answer. It's because Brazil keeps outstripping us with China exports. But the bigger point is, how can the soybeans keep going higher if the corn and wheat are going lower? And I think again, like mid-October, I don't think they will. And if you go back to your question about the January 12th report, I think the onus is on the soy complex to feed the bull to allow these prices to stay this high and this elevated, especially with the January meal which is $20 premium to the March, getting ready to go off the board right around the same time as that report comes out. And that was going to be my
0: next question. You know, over the holiday period, soybeans broke that $15 mark, that psychological resistance, quote unquote, overhead. And and we held up there for a couple of sessions. And then now coming back here this week, we've come back below it. And I just wonder, if we could feed the bull with that January report or some other news item, can soybeans move back above $15 with support from, say, again, the meal market there, Mike? I, I wonder if it's possible.
4: They, they can with the help of the, wheel, the the meal and the wheat and corn. I think it has to be all three. And I say that because the crop conditions for the hard red wheat, the damage done in Argentina already in the wheat crop. I know people say that's already priced in. But, again, we've taken a lot of premium out of the wheat at this point. So, I think you got to have almost everything running on all eights and it it being supported and underneath this market. And I would add to that last week, while I was wanting to buy into the corn and making the recommendation to buy back some corn, I also sent out a text blast to let some more 22 beans go. Because again, it was nice to see all of them working together, but they weren't working together like they should. And so it was kind of a precursor to what we were going to deal with this week. And then Yesterday, when we saw that the Chinese in a Bloomberg article it said uh, uh, bodies are stacking up at crematoriums around China. That's the kind of news story you see if you're in the commodity markets and say, What am I doing being long here? And I think it gets as simple as that at this point. And I think, Why wouldn't you be getting out of your long bean positions if China's not buying as much from Brazil? and they've got to go through this horrible COVID mess where you're not gonna have crushing facilities operating, port workers to unload ships, you know, so on and so forth. Kind of what we talked about back in 2020.
0: We'll continue our conversation with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics, coming up after the break here
1: on Market Talk. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back as we continue here on market talk today, Jesse Allen with you and our guest analyst is Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics here on the show today. Mike, staying on the grains a little bit more here, I'm hearing some whispers of some increased farmer selling and that doesn't surprise me with the calendar flipping to 2023, whether we're talking corn, I know basis, cash basis has come down the last couple of days, soybeans whatever the case may be that doesn't surprise me you know that psychological okay new tax year i need to make some sales cash flow etc have you heard some of those whispers as well maybe a little more increased farmer selling on the recent rally here in the grains
4: yeah i talked to a client in owensboro kentucky today and uh, he said it was very busy at the elevator on the Ohio river there with a lot of trucks and he was in line out here in this part of the country. A lot of trucks been running the last week. Um, you see that in the basis also. You've seen some basis widening, some basis weakening in both corn and beans as you get west to the Mississippi River. And I think you're right, Jesse. I think the producers know that as you said, you get above $15 in November beans that's a price you typically don't get very often. Why not let something go for cash flow? And when I talked to producers this week, even though I had been reowning corn, I made it very clear, we don't wanna go below 665, We don't want to go below the 10-week moving average, especially after having two weeks in a row higher uh, going into the first of the year. So technically speaking, these are tripwires that I think you do let some corn go, especially if you had corn on basis contracts at a higher basis level.
0: Uh, The wheat market as well. I know you brought up the Black Sea region. I know we're hearing reports that uh, Ukrainian officials think Russia is going to mount a new offensive, possibly. I'm seeing reports that insurers aren't wanting to insure ships out of the Black Sea corridor now. That's getting harder and harder to do. Uh, This wheat market trade, though, feels a little thin to me. Are you seeing anything chart-wise or anything else in this wheat market overall that you're watching right now, Mike?
4: Yeah, Europe is still the leader right now, and it's the leader of fundamentally. the The Black Sea market seems to have slowed down with the holiday, and we also had the funds liquidating their long position over in Paris wheat. Both of those things should be coming to a close. But I think Jesse, you tap into something with the with the insurers not insuring in this new offensive. Why isn't that pushing premium back in the wheat? You see, 19% good to excellent in Kansas wheat and very poor to poor almost at the 50% mark and still declining at this point because of no precip and temperatures that are gonna be in the 40s for the next 14 days, drawing down reserve moisture. Why aren't we rallying? And I think it really does go back to that demand base and that psychology of US wheat. And when we saw, when I saw a 3 million bushel export inspection number yesterday, I thought, holy cow, where'd my demand logo? And I was really a hit mentally To have to see such a weak, weak uh, export inspection number, even though it was a holiday week uh, and and, and the trade gives you a little bit for that, it was still below the lowest trade guess. And that really does matter each and every week.
0: Let's move over to livestock, Mike. You mentioned that uh, export number. It was a a rough week last week on the beef side, I believe. Uh, I mean, if I remember that number right, it it wasn't very, very good at all. But yet, you know, this cattle market everyone's still fairly bullish. We had a good day Wednesday. Feeder cattle took advantage of the break in corn. What's your thoughts with cattle? Let's just start there. I'll leave it open-ended for you. What are you thinking right now?
4: Yeah, not a lot of changes since we last spoke. You know, I wanted to let the bull run, but wanted to get Q1 hedges in place once I felt like the top was in. And, And the question mark is, is what's your best canary in the coal mine for the top? And I think it's the feeder cattle market. I talked to several producers, several ranchers from Southern Illinois to Northern Nebraska today and yesterday, and all of them are talking about popping the champagne bottle corks and, and getting out the champagne bottles and, and the feeder cattle market because they just see this tighter supply coming and a real revved up market and these cash prices are already showing it. So the answer to me is as long as the feeder cattle can continue to go higher, especially with the fat cattle carrying a big, uh, a, a, an extended premium against the feeder cattle right now, uh, as long as that can continue, let the fat cattle go, April fat cattle could get up to that 164, 165 level. That's kind of where we were back in that 2014, 2015 area as far as range ranges to the upside. Um, that would be an area that I probably wouldn't want to let fall back below. But as long as the feeders keep going, I'm okay with the fat cattle running and trying to get another high set in place.
0: Well, I look at feeder cattle, August, September, October, November, those deferred contracts are, are sitting nicely above the $200 mark. Now, whether or not we hold that remains to be seen. That's a long ways off, but uh, just interesting note there as well, as you talk about just some of the excitement and exuberance in this feeder cattle market right now.
4: Yeah, and we are getting exuberant, and that's, that's one of the first warning flags out there. And I think we finished out 2022- with beef production up about a percent. Pork production looks like it's gonna come in down about two, two and a half percent maybe based upon the latest USDA figures. And we still don't have a real good handle on the holiday trade at this point. So I would say watch that exuberance um take advantage of that exuberance by getting hedges in place once you see a little bit of weakness and one of the big numbers i put out to producers this week was the in the feeder cattle was not going below the december low of 180 so we're getting ready to see january go off the board march take over as lead month that's always an interesting time period because the March and May feeder cattle seem to always be a little bit wobbly and weaker than those prior months. So don't let 180 get taken out in feeders to the downside because that really does take away, I think, a lot of horsepower for your cattle to keep going higher.
0: Hog market, I love how you always frame up the pork and bean trade. I think it correlates together so well. And we saw as beans lost some momentum and some support on Wednesday, so did the lean hog market too. What's your thoughts there?
4: Yeah, you can tell and smell the managed money in, in the soybean and hog trade again, and that's going to make it a lot more volatile. And I think that's the word for 2023. And I don't say it's more volatile to scare people away from the markets. It's to get them to be more engaged in the markets so that they take advantage of prices when they get to the levels that exceed your expectations or you don't carry a long position below a price level that exceeds your expectations because you aren't watching it. I think that's the key with the hogs. I like the hogs overall in 2023, Jesse, because I do think that the Chinese demand's going to come back eventually. And four to five percent growth once we get past this COVID problem is I think will help keep those exports very strong on a tight domestic supply. So maybe after the March hogs and pigs report, we'll have a better idea of where the low is in this hog market. But I do sense in the hogs overall, we'll put the lows in early in the year. But for the fat cattle, it really doesn't matter if it's early or late. I think it's gonna be early, but I am looking at a really significant possibility of a cycle high in prices for the fat cattle in 2023. So the hogs will play some role in that, I think, but the cycle numbers are really pointing uh, to major lows about six, seven years out. And we're we're running into a, a period where that cycle high could be right around the corner.
0: Well, Mike, before we wrap it up, I'll use a, a bad golf analogy, but it feels like, you know, a couple of days into the trade here for the new year. We're on tee box number one, teeing it up and ready to take off here for for the uh, first round of uh, trading. Uh, any final thoughts, anything else on your mind or you want to reiterate for listeners here before we wrap up the show today as we look at 2023 ahead of us?
4: Yeah, I got a quick look at the Federal Reserve minutes, and it doesn't look like they're going to give us much help as far as the outside markets in and the, and the dollar and the crude oil market, because it, it said very specifically, they do not want to give a false impression of easing or coming off their rate hikes too quickly, because that would be a bad signal to send to the financial market. So I think buckle up in the outside markets, and, and we really need to see some demand come back in for the uh, grains in particular to kind of get us back into the supply demand markets and Get out of the macro side of the equation.
0: Well, Mike, great stuff as always. And I know if folks want to reach out to you and uh, take a look at your research and have a conversation, they can do that very easily. What's the best way to get a hold of you, Mike?
4: Globalcomresearch.com, globalcom with two Ms, research.com, or give me a call toll free 866-471-2588. I've had some people call to get some meetings set up. Please feel free to uh, see if that doesn't work in your schedule, or if you have a specific question, give me a call.
0: Globalcomresearch.com again, as well as the uh, place to get a hold of Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Thanks so much for the time. As always, sir, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you again next week. Let's hope we're
4: 30 higher tomorrow, Jesse. Thank you, sir.
0: Well, I definitely hope that is the case as well. Again, that is Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, our guest analyst here today on Market Talk. Let's recap some of the closes uh, from Wednesday's action before we hit the break. March corn down 16 to three quarters, 653 to three quarters. July corn down 15 and a half, 649 and a quarter. Soybeans January 9 lower, 1478 and a quarter. March beans down eight and three quarters, 14.83 and a half. July beans down nine and a quarter, 14.93 and a half. January bean meal up 5.70 a ton, 4.82.15. January bean oil down 5.63.11. March Chicago wheat, 30 lower, 7.45 and a half. July down 28 and a half, 7.58. March Kansas City winter wheat, 28 and a half lower, 8.40 and three quarters. We look over at KC winter wheat as well for July. That was down 27, 8.32 and a half. March spring wheat down 15 to three quarters, 9.03 and a half. July down 15 to three quarters at 8.89 and three quarters. Oats as well. We saw March oats down five and three quarters at 357 and three quarters. Canola for January down 2.60, 8.61, 2.60, 8.61, 60. We saw in the cotton market also cotton traded its way lower down 270 points at March, 80.44. Livestock trade, lean hogs for February down $1.8407. April hogs down 90, 92.90. May down 90, 98.90. Live cattle February up 42, 157.27. April up 55, 161.42. June live cattle up 52 15735 and feeder cattle January up 252 18522 March up 345 18822 April feeders up 292 19170 We'll be back to wrap up the program on the way right after this you're listening to Market Talk we'll be back on the way right
1: after the break Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us here today. And thanks to Mike Zuzalo for being our guest analyst here as we take a look at these markets that have just been uh, off to a rough start here in 2023. A lot of fund liquidation, just a lot of money moving out of commodities, bit of a correction here after we saw the uh, thin holiday type of trade. I'll be interested to see how these markets perform the rest of this week and then heading into next week's USDA. January wasti report, typically a very big report, and I know a lot of eyes in the trade are going to be on that report as it will definitely set the, uh, the big tone here for the year. Not that this uh, past couple of days of trade hasn't set a tone, but that January WASD report will really help us set the tone here to start off the new year. So that is going to be something I'm going to be watching closely. We're going to be talking about it here as we prepare for that January WASD report here on Market Talk. Well, of course, with a new year comes a new set of challenges for many folks throughout the ag industry, and a new year, new Congress means more challenges for the ethanol industry. Renewable Fuels Association head Jeff Cooper talks about how he sees things for his industry with a GOP-controlled House and Democrat-led Senate.
5: We're not expecting a whole lot of activity related to renewable fuels or, or energy. Uh, when you've got a split Congress, you know, we just don't expect much to be happening. There will be oversight hearings and, and some some noise in the House around the RFS and things like that, but we really don't expect to see much in the way of, of real activity.
0: But the biofuels industry will still press its goals in Congress and at federal agencies.
5: Protecting the renewable fuel standard and, and making sure that this Recent proposal from EPA is properly implemented and implemented in a timely way. And then our other priority, of course, is going to be securing year-round access for for E15. And and we certainly saw legislation introduced that would have done that for us uh, toward the end of of
4: 2022. We fully expect to see legislation introduced early in in the new Congress.
0: One area that Cooper feels could see bipartisan support to allow E15 sales by next summer's driving season, and RFA will continue its joint fight alongside EPA against several small oil refiners who lost ethanol waivers and are appealing in court. Well, as we talk about fuel prices, consumers enjoyed a bit of a relief at both the gas and diesel pumps to wrap up 2022. Fuel prices started to fall in some locations in early November and continued through December. Now, thanks to dropping oil prices and economic uncertainty both in the U.S. but also in China. But the big question is, will these prices continue to fall in the months ahead? Patrick DeHaan with gas Buddy, says as he looks to 2023, he's hopeful the new year will not be a record-setting one.
5: Beyond that, there remain a lot of wild cards that could see gas prices going uh, uh, potentially above uh, $4 a gallon. Uh, but it's been a little difficult to uh, forecast accurately so far out. Uh, and it may be uh, again in the year ahead so long as uh, we uh, continue to see challenges like COVID and Russia's war in Ukraine.
0: Now, Oil prices have been trading on the upside with West Texas crude recently moving above the $80 per barrel mark and gas prices spiked upwards last week, ending two months of decline. However, to start this week, we've seen crude oil under pressure. So a little bit of a back and forth ebb and flow in the uh, crude oil market, something to keep our eyes on here as we move forward as well. Well, political parties and their candidates spent more than $16 billion on the 2022 election. Randy Dwyer, the senior director of political advocacy and engagement at the American Farm Bureau Federation, talks about the thin majorities in both the House and Senate.
5: Majority in the House of Representatives is 218. Republicans did gain majority. They have 222. Now that's the exact same number that the Democrats have as they leave Congress as a majority right now. So it flipped in the Senate. It was 50-50. Now the midterms created a runoff in Georgia to decide what this new makeup is going to be in the Senate, and it did go to the Democrats. Then come incumbent won, so that gave them 51 to 49. But what happened after the election was that one of the Democrats became an independent. So that puts a monkey wrench into things in the Senate.
0: Uh, Democrats will keep control of the Senate as Democratic Vice President Kamala Harris can cast a vote to break a 50-50 tie. Dwyer is hopeful the changes in Congress won't mean a lot for U.S. farmers and ranchers.
5: The folks that we deal with in the Senate are still there, as well as in the House Representatives. So the leadership in the House Agriculture Committee, as well as the leadership in the Senate Agriculture Committee, are known entities to us and vice versa. And we look forward to working with them. We do know that they are working hard towards a farm bill, and we look forward to working with them, not only through AFBF, but also at the state and county level.
0: And Dwyer talks about the first priorities once the 118th Congress is sworn in.
5: We do have the farm bill coming up. it gets reauthorized, Every five years, it's going to be an important thing. But there's other things we're keeping an eye on, too. And that includes things like taxes, regulations, inflation, input costs, and access to markets. These are all important issues to Farm Bureau members, people who want to make sure their businesses not only survive but thrive in the challenges ahead.
0: And again, that's Randy Dwyer of the American Farm Bureau Federation. While producer sentiment improved sharply in December as the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Index reading of 126, that was 24 points higher than a month earlier. Now, although U.S. farmers were more positive regarding both the current situation and the future, the biggest improvement was in their assessment of current conditions. The current conditions index reached 135, 37 points higher than in November, while the future expectations index hit 122, 18 points above a month earlier. Now, the improvement in current sentiment was motivated by producers' stronger perception of current financial conditions on their farms as the Farm Financial Performance Index climbed 18 points above the prior month's reading to reach 109, which was the only time in 2022 that the index was above 100. The Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Sentiment Index is calculated monthly from 400 U.S. agricultural producers' responses to a telephone survey. This month's survey was conducted from December 5th through the 9th. Of 2022. And lastly, here on Market Talk today, the first of seven satellites for agriculture launched into space Tuesday by SpaceX. Built by Dragonfly Aerospace, the satellite is part of the Transporter 6 mission for customer EOS data analytics. The remaining six satellites of the constellation will be deployed over the next three years. The EOS data analytics project is the world's first agriculture focused satellite constellation providing the industry with high-quality data to support efficient and sustainable practices. Images obtained from Dragonfly's EOS Sat. One will deliver information for harvest monitoring, application mapping, seasonal planning, and assessments that analyze information such as soil moisture, yield prediction, and biomass levels. The data will support growers with reducing carbon dioxide emissions and help them to develop sustainable agricultural methods. The company says the information will have important environmental benefits for the planet and help prevent natural habitats from being diminished for crop growth and maintain biodiversity interesting stuff on the ag tech side that's going to do it for market talk today i'm your host jesse allen wishing you a great rest of your day we'll talk
1: to you tomorrow why are more people heating their homes with fs propane because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit FSPropane.com for more information.